I've spent the last 12 years trying to find the ultimate model to run a chiropractic business, and I think I discovered it. The Clinic Gym Hybrid Model, where you integrate fitness with the great care that chiropractic offices offer. Now, I perfected that model, and I sold that business last year. Now I've gone full-time into discovering how to help others build the same model in their practice, and I have the goal of 100 hybrid clinics starting up in the next year. So follow along as we interview the greatest guests, thought leaders in our space here, and discover the ways to perfect this model so that you can run an amazing business that also contributes to your time off, increased pay, and increased fulfillment by doing the care that you truly believe in. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and this is Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm joined today by Dr. Tom Teeter. Tom, what's up? How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing good. And uh, Tom is the inventor, the pioneer, the... uh, what do you saw the the main mamma jamma over there rehab to fitness, which course you developed is a it's a course you developed correct that's correct yes yeah and so uh, give me a little synopsis of you can talk about your background and a little bit of background of the course so that we can dive into some exciting questions here sure uh, I, like you said I'm Dr Tom Teeter I am a chiropractor in Kansas City Missouri uh, the name of my personal business is engineering athletes okay and what we do is work with general population and athletic people towards their uh, achieving their physical fitness and athletic goals. And then I'm also an associate professor at Park University and have come up with their... Just for the chiropractors, not Park-er, oh, right. just Park. Park University. We're an undergraduate yeah. program in fitness and wellness. Cool. So I came up with their curriculum for their degree program. Mm-hmm. I've been teaching there for about five, almost six years. And this would be like an exercise, program, exercise science program? It's basically like a that? practical exercise science cool, program. Cool, man. Yes. It's good, to, good and times. And then um, I, in the process of doing that, developed uh, the Rehab to Fitness course for clinicians to learn all about fitness. That's awesome, man. And um, so everybody might have listened to the first episode where we kind of talked about this, but last time you were on my show... You had not actually started the course and seen, I'm excited to hear from you, not just how the course is going, but also like how the reaction is, meaning I'm going to guess you might have overestimated the knowledge of fitness that's out there in most chiropractors. I would say that's a fair assumption, yes. Okay. So uh, so you teach us rehab to fitness course and you guys have done it, what, a dozen times now? And uh, We had four classes so far. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and you got, people can find it on the web. It's through Southeast Sports Seminars, right? Yeah, Southeast Sports, Seminar- Southeast Sports Seminars is the hosting company. Yeah, um, and they do all the work for me to promote the course. But if they, if they, if people listening just type in as we talk about this thing, get excited. They just type in uh, rehab to fitness. They should be able to find the course. right? That's correct. Yes. Okay. Cool. All right, and you do them almost in every city that has a major chiropractic university. I've seen. Uh, that's that's the plan Louis, so far. Yeah, Kansas City, Dallas, all that. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, so uh, this is awesome. So let's go back to your practice. So. Here you were, kind of engineering athletes, as you say, getting people, and you work inside a gym. I've been to your, your clinic. It's pretty cool. Um, as you work in there, when did you really realize, like, hey, dude, fitness is a big piece of this, and we got to – when did you really get into the fitness piece? I've always been into the fitness piece. My yeah. background is, is in exercise science, and so when I decided to get into clinical practice, I always had the intention of having fitness be a huge okay. piece of my practice. Um, I, I kind of saw early on, and I think people like yourself saw early on, that in order for our patients to maintain the gains and the, and the, the things that we're doing in the clinic, we have to start loading them in a capacity mm-hmm. towards fitness. So mm-hmm. that was always something that had been in my mind, and I tried to build my entire practice around that idea. Awesome. 
And when you first started doing that, so you graduated chiropractic college in, what did you say, 2004? Uh, 2004, yep. So let's say you're a couple years in. What, what were you noticing? So you're two years in. You, you believe that you should load everybody, but the ability to do that coupled with – because I think a lot of chiropractors out there, that's a great idea, and I, truly, I believe in that, but the implementation of it on the street level is really hard. It is hard because I think if you just look at the general population, I, I think I read – at last count, only like 25% of our population exercises to begin with. Mm-hmm. So you're having people come into your office in pain who are relatively sedentary, mm-hmm. and they have no tolerance to load, which is usually one of the reasons why they got hurt in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a challenge for a lot of practitioners who maybe don't practice in the environment I do, where they're just seeing a lot of general population people that have no aesthetic or athletic aspirations to get them to want to exercise. But I mm-hmm. think once you start introducing that puzzle, that piece of the puzzle, and they start seeing that, hey, if I'm, I'm able to walk up the stairs faster and I don't have to come back for as many visits and my pain's uh, not coming back like it had previously, I think general population people easily start to buy into the idea of fitness. Awesome. And so as you're doing that, um, how did you deal with, because I get this question a lot, and I, I'm, I didn't prep you on this, so I hope you're coming to me asking this. But a lot of people say, like, oh, it's really hard because I don't get paid for the exercise or I spend too much time with people. Or the other side of the coin, like you said, when you start loading people, their care, the number of care plan, uh, visits goes way down, right? Like, they're very resilient very quickly. Yes. How did you kind of navigate that? Well, at first, um, you know, I have such an odd, unique practice where I still actually train people. So I, You're saying you train people as you have customers that are just fitness customers. That's correct. That might engage, I'm sure they engage at some point clinically, like once in a while, but they're just, hey, I want to exercise with you. I believe in you. Just for exercise. Okay. Um, and, and so I do both. Uh-huh. Um, I know some clinicians don't want to or don't have the knowledge base to do both. Sure. Um, so I don't really have the same resistance. And most of the people that come to me either, you know, like the very first thing I'll ask them is like, what can I do to help you? Mm-hmm. They're like, my back hurts. I know those are pain patients, so I know yeah. I'm taking them into the clinic. Someone might say, you know, I, I want to be able to, to run a marathon. Great. Those are people who have a specific goal that's not related to pain. We're going to drive you towards fitness. Mm-hmm. And then I do have people that I do see clinically. I would suggest when people say I want to run a marathon, just don't, Steer don't them let them be your patient. Yeah, because right. like runners are the craziest patients. They, like, they, don't, oh, you don't I've, want to mess with I've that. I've got a ton of crazy runner stories. But, yeah. but I do have people also who started off as patients in the clinic. I got them out of pain. I said, hey, you should probably start loading this in order to make this not be a long-term issue. I get them into my adult fitness program, and I would say at least – uh, three of the six people in my adult fitness class right now I've had for 10 plus years. Um, so it, it does work if you do it correctly. And, and as I tell other clinicians, you don't have to be the person that does the fitness. Mm-hmm. You just have to speak trainer. Right. Just we, we're, you and I were working on a golf seminar this weekend, right? Yes. And um, in that we were saying like, you got to talk golfish, even if you're not a golfer, you just got to talk golfish to everybody to believe that you know anything about golf, right? Yeah, and it's the same thing with fitness. You have to at least understand fitness mm-hmm. in order to talk to trainers. And the great thing about this entire idea is if, if you want to implement this in your practice, you can hire great trainers as long as you understand how to speak to them and give them direction. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be doing all of the work for you mm-hmm. while you're seeing patients and generating revenue. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it, that's a good point. You know, when you have a, a great trainer, like having a, a unified language, I should say, would be the first thing. Just like if you were like, hey, I, I really want to integrate physical therapy in my office, I'm going to guess that that will be a whole lot easier if you have a joint language. If you want to integrate massage therapy in your office, if you have a unified language, it's going to be a whole lot easier. If you want to integrate, you know, some people are integrating 
medical doctors or I'm trying to think of anything else, nutrition. But if we just have a unified language about things, you know, it'll be like, oh, that's like that makes it so much easier. You know, you, you need a unified language. And I think you also need a system of checks and balances. You have to be able to communicate with the people from the other specialties, but you also yeah. have to have a system that everybody's playing from the same rules. And so if people wanted to get a unified language, do you know any courses that could offer that to them? I think there, if, if we're directly relating it to fitness, um, that's one of the reasons why we developed the course. We yeah. found that when I was talking to clinicians about what I do in practice and uh-huh. what I'm teaching at the university, there was kind of these blank stares where the suggestion was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or I've had other clinicians tell me when they have patients refer to them from personal trainers, uh-huh. they didn't understand the, the lingo or the terminology or the exercise. Give us some some trainer lingo. Oh, if someone might say, I did a, a, a rear foot elevated split squat okay. for a knee dominant asymmetrical exercise, clinicians would look at you know, like, I don't know what that means. Right. Right. Really, we're just talking about a lunge with your feet elevated. But okay. if you understand that and you can communicate that with your trainer, the trainer might come to you and say, hey, this is what we've been doing. They're noticing pain. What might you suggest that we avoid? If you understand what the exercises mm-hmm. are, how to go about progressionally regressing and loading them, then you can work from the personal trainer's, uh, trainer's strength program all the way back to the table and have a really sound continuum of care for your patients. So if you drew two circles, one circle said clinical in it and the other circle said exercise, Essentially what your course is, is bringing those two circles so that they're overlapping. In a perfect world, they would, the clinician would have knowledge of everything, but correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're suggesting, this is what I believe, they should have knowledge of everything, they should be gone through those exercises once or twice, but they don't necessarily need to be an expert in instruction of them. Agreed. But they should I, be good. For sure. But you don't have to be an expert. No, but I, I think in order to understand them, and, I, and this is part of what we try to do in the course, yeah. you have to understand how to program exercise. Uh-huh. Well, what is exercise? You have to understand how to program exercise, and you have to understand, at least be able to demonstrate that you can coach the exercise. You don't have to do it all the mm-hmm. time, but if you and your trainer are, let's, a squat, for example, if you're both coaching it some way different, when you come back to that common language, what one person might say is a squat might not be what you're talking about. Sure. So having an ability for everyone on your staff to speak the same common language of exercise and programming goes, uh, it's hands down an effective way for con- uh, continuity of care for the people that come into your clinic. I love it. I love it. Hey, it's Dr. Josh. I want to let you know some exciting news I just found out. I was talking to the guys over at Racket Fit and On Base U, and it turns out that both those courses are now approved for 13 hours of continuing chiropractic education. So each course is approved for its own 13 hours. So if you're looking at what the next CEU course you wanna do and you need the hours for your state, check out racketfit.com, racketfit.com, or onbaseu.com, onbase, the letter U.com, short for university, all right? If you're working in the population of, of tennis or you wanna kinda get into that country club crowd, Doing the Racket Fit certification, I think, is absolutely fantastic. And if you are working in baseball, which I think is like the next frontier for a lot of the care that we provide, I think it's a fantastic group of people that are just kind of coming into the idea of assessments and performance measures and technology stats, then you definitely want to check out On Base U. I think these are both great courses. I've taken them. I teach them. I believe in them. So check them out, racketfit.com and onbaseu.com. And email me if you have any questions. Thanks. Uh, along those lines, when 
people listening are, can we throw out a couple? Because I think I'll, I get this question, uh, another question I get a lot is, where can I get knowledge about exercise? Obviously, the rehab to fitness course is great, and, and you being a clinician makes it awesome. What are some other ones where you think that they provide some great information about just, uh, somebody's just like, I just need a larger menu of exercise. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, I think a great course and one of the courses that influenced me was the Certified Functional Strength Coach. Um, I think I love it too. Mike I suggest it. I was Brendan, trying not to. No, I was no, trying not to no. throw it out there, but legitimately, that course That's is awesome. A great course. I, I, I took it. Uh, I have a lot of respect for those guys. You know, it, it's kind of that, when, that Boyle character. I think he's going to do okay. I think he kind of knows yeah. what he's talking about a little yeah. bit. There's a lot of people when you get into this long enough, you come up with very little of this stuff on your own, and there's just a ton of people that influence your thought process. Right. And early on. When I was getting into exercise, the things that Mike was saying really resonated with me. And so I've, I've spent years digging into all their material. I have a lot of respect for the things that they're doing. So I tried to take what they had, mm-hmm. integrate some of those ideas in my course, and expand upon it to make programming really a, a plug-and-play yeah. uh, methodology. I love what those guys are doing. Um, Exos, from what I hear, has a really great uh, right. performance-based course. Awesome. And then there's, there's the, the general ones where you have the NSCA, CSCS, the NASM courses. Those are very broad-based and, and uh, basic, in my opinion. Uh-huh. But I think really... And I, I don't, I, I'm not disparaging those courses at all. I think that the CSCS certification is great. And, and, and for those of you listening, if you're a clinician, like if you want to let the... How do I say this? CSCS is about as close to a license as you're going to get in exercise, right? Like DC is the chiropractic license. CSCS is a license in exercise. It doesn't necessarily, but I think it's about as good as it gets. And certainly at the college level, professional sports level, they look for that certification to say this person understands exercise. Now, whether or not you do because you're taking that course is a different story, but if you're looking for a certification to attain that kind of offers legitimacy to you, that for those listening, that might be the best one. Along those lines, the CSCS is how to be a strength coach. It's not here are the exercises to do. Would you it, agree? It's basic uh, philosophy uh-huh. and, and the underlying basics of, of science uh-huh. and exercise physiology. What I don't think it does very well, and I don't mean in any way this is in a disparaging way, is teach you how to program exercise or change the variables relative to loading to fit each individual person. Right. Um, I, I don't think they do that well. I think the only course that I've come across that does that is the Certified Functional Strength Coach and then obviously the course that we've created with Rehab to Fitness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other, uh, any other courses? Because I, I pimp those too. Like uh, the CFSC, totally believe in it, and I hope people go to your course. Any others besides those that you recommend? I got a couple in my quiver, but your guy um, gets around. I, there's just so many out there, and I think that's the problem. Is I, I don't want to speak about courses that I haven't taken. Um, there's a lot of people in fitness that have you done any me. like conditioning or sprint or like running, you know, on the conditioning side. So running, cycling, um, not, not specifically the one okay. course for conditioning that I really love is, uh, the course that Joel Jameson's put out on, uh, energy system manipulation uh-huh. and writing conditioning programs. Cool. I, um, purchased the material and went through all of it on, um, the DVDs that they yeah. had. He has an, uh, actually a live course now. Um, and I thought it was fantastic. I, I, I've not seen anyone that's described writing conditioning programs yeah. in a, a logical and, way the way he did. Right. And the thing about that, I've, I've done his intro, uh, intro to HRV, but the thing that's crazy is he's the only person I've heard even speak of specifically the conditioning. So we say strength and conditioning, 
And he's like, no, 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 it's the conditioning, conditioning. that is the big limit or not the strength. Now, the CFSC is mostly strength exercises, right? Right. So <clears throat> Joel has an interesting one. Um, Charlie's course, uh, uh, rehab, uh, training goes where I have Well, that, that yeah. would be my next thing. I, I was going to say it's, you know, the, Mike influenced me quite a bit. And uh, I think you'd say the other one, hands down, if you're a clinician in chiropractic, physical therapy, athletic training, if you want to get into the world of athletics yeah. or just having an understanding of how fitness fits into the bigger picture. Charlie Weingroff and his training equals rehab courses yeah. are another thing that's been a huge influence like on my one, thought process. And one, two, and three. three right now, and yeah. I hear he's working on four. I cannot confirm that. Yeah. Uh, but I'll be the first to sign up to buy that DVD when it comes out. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I took the FRC course. I think that's great for right after therapy. I think that course kind of falls perfectly in line. I'm trying to think of any others that... Well, you know, when we, what I've been teaching at the university is, you know, you, if you look just at the fitness side, we're going to take the clinical part out of it for a minute, you need a really good assessment course, a, right. way to go, a way to look at global movement and determine if people are appropriate for exercise, and if they are, what things you may need to protect them from, and if they're not, yeah. some things you might want to consider yeah. correcting. I would be remiss to not say that the FMS, in my opinion, is a great course for that. Yeah. It's a great course. Uh, we, we've been teaching that at the university. Once you have an assessment course, I think you need some course that's related to maybe improving mobility. Okay. And that's where I think functional range conditioning is another yep. fantastic course. Andre Ospina and those guys have done a great job. And then because it's within the scope of a personal trainer, and I think you even discussed this with different guests on your podcast, a, a personal trainer can do a large majority of what we can do as clinicians on the rehab side. So something that is a, a way to improve or correct motor control. Is, yeah. it would be a great option. So courses like DNS mm-hmm. or even uh, Ben Fergus and the grip courses, I mm-hmm. think, are fantastic. Um, and if, you, if you're a trainer and you have an assessment course and the functional movement screen and you have a way to improve mobility with FRC yeah. and you have a way to improve motor you're, control. You're, you're touching DNS, on something I think is worth talking about, but keep going. Keep going. Th- then they can do the largest majority of what needs to be done prior to training. And then what we do is say, okay, once you know how to protect and correct, assess, protect, and correct, then we're going to start loading stuff. And that's where a course like Certified Functional Strength Coach, my course, et cetera, comes in. So I think if you're going to be a trainer or if you are a trainer or you want to get in fitness, you have to kind of look at the bigger picture. And I think one of the problems that people have is they get into this micro view of, I only want to do Certified Functional Strength Coach. I'm like, great. That's a way to obtain strength and, and go about loading the body. But what about mobility? What about mm-hmm. motor control? What about conditioning? Um, so I think you kind of have to step back and look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, what I want to say that you reminded me of when you were saying DNS or, or grip with uh, Ben Fergus is the idea that, um, you know, if, you, if you're out there and you're interested in hiring a, a, a great coach to work in your program or in your facility – Using that as a litmus test or, a, or a, if, if there's somebody out there at a big box gym and they tell you they've taken DNS or they tell, they tell you they've taken grip, trying to think of anything else they might have taken. But like essentially what they're saying is, dude, I'm interested in like doing what you do. I just don't haven't gone to school. Right. Like the thought process of that, they're not required to do any hours. And the fact that they do great hours like that is telling you this is probably somebody that you should look at and it's worthwhile, you know, like to hire because they get it, question, you know, quote unquote, like they get it, and it's um, it's pretty awesome. I think a lot of people are like, oh well, I want to look at the certifications. And like, the excitement piece there is not the certifications; 
It's that that person realized at some some point that the biggest problem for their clients was not, can I put more weight on them? It was, can I just get them functional? I don't think many personal trainers look at it that way. Certainly not ones that I've seen. Well, I think that's the problem. And that's why, you know, one of the other things that when I try to develop my course, um, one of the other jobs I have amongst many is I I do legal expert witness work for cases for plaintiffs who have been hurt in exercise-related activities. And so what I tried to do was almost reverse engineer my course to say, what are the stupid things I've seen trainers do, mm-hmm. and how can we teach them not to do that? And so when I chapter see it, one, chapter eliminating one. the bosu well, or any standing round ball. One of the things that I try to look for is trainers who have taken some of these other courses, because at least that shows that they have a. a an understanding that there's other things outside of just loading. You might want to restore motor control yeah. before you start putting them under load. Yeah. You might have a mobility restriction that's going to prevent them from motor skill acquisition. Yeah. So I look for people who have, they don't have to understand it all, but at least understand it enough to Have you learn seen more. this though? Like on, on like we're in some of the same Facebook groups and people are like, Oh, this stupid trainer down the street's like trying to, you know, take my job or he's doing soft tissue and blah, blah, blah. And I know you and, Todd Riddle and, and um, people that I think I would say have a good perspective of the trainer's clinician continuum, mm-hmm. you know, whether it is just a trainer being a trainer, clinician being a clinician, or kind of that hybrid model. Do you think that's a, in your personal opinion, if, that, if you find out that trainer is doing like some soft tissue work, buys a hypervolt, how about that? They're, they're not doing grass and tools or factor, but they're by a hypervolt and they're doing vibration stuff and, you know, trying to get their clients flexible. Good trainer or bad trainer? Right now, I would say I'm indifferent. Okay. In the past, I would have probably not been so keen on that. You would have thought it's a problem, I and now you're softening. I'm softening a little bit. In your old age. So very very old age. In this instance, like a hybrid. Pretty soon, be people, you'll be screaming at kids, get off my damn lawn, yeah, my and you'll be spraying them with I the sprinklers. I say that already. Oh, okay, good. Uh, in this instance, with something like a hypervolt, I'm not as offended by that. Uh-huh. Um, where I get more offended is, and I actually just saw this this morning, if you're a fitness company or a company that, that makes fitness equipment and you're making tools for people to do soft tissue work, selling those carte blanche and then not even knowing if those people are licensed to do so, I have a huge problem with that. So that's not on the trainer side. That's on the, provi- the equipment provider provider side. Or, or if you're a personal side. trainer, for yeah. instance. Um, one of the things we talk about legally at the university, let's say, let, hi, hypothetically, you're a personal trainer. And at the end of your training session, you're taking a client into a very end-range passive motion. Technically, in most states, range passive motion. Okay. In most states, that's classified as joint mobilization. Okay. Now we would call that stretching, mm-hmm. right? But that's technically classified in most states as joint mobilization. So, in my opinion, at the university, we don't teach that our trainers are allowed to stretch people. Now, there's other things they can do to try to improve mobility, but passive stretching is not one of them. And we could obviously spend time talking about the, the merits if that's even yeah, yeah, worthwhile. Yeah. But my point being that we try to create what we tried to create in the course and at the university is a, a scope of practice for personal trainers because, frankly, as you know and I know, there isn't one. Right. And it's the wild west, and they can pretty much do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. And that's why people get in trouble. So we're like, look, here's the parameters. <laughs> well, the other side of the coin is also a profession that seems to appeal to the what do you want to say, eighteen to twenty six year old. Uh, people who aren't exactly making the best life decisions at that point, right? They don't have the wisdom in general that comes with uh, Some, you know, I mean, getting through your 20s and, and early 30s. I think 
I think a lot of people get into training for the right reason. I just think they're, they're guided in the wrong direction, and that's why they end up getting in trouble. Yeah. I've known some, in, in my time, I'll be honest, I've known some, some people who are, if we want to say it this way, just personal trainers that are brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I've had the luxury of having quite a few friends who I have an enormous amount of respect for that all they do is training or fitness. Mm-hmm. But I think they're the exception to the rule. It's interesting, like, I, was, I wrote an email about this last week, a couple weeks ago, about, you know, to refer takes confidence. Like, you're a chiropractor, and I'm sure when you, I don't want to speak for you, so when I was early into practice, I was scared to refer. I certainly didn't refer to the number of providers I'll refer to now, but now it's like that confidence to go, like, look, this little sliver is what I'm really good at, and anything out that sliver, I, you go see somebody else. Go to Tom, like, I don't care. Like, you know, like, I'd rather have you get really good care from him, or... You know, oh, so-and-so does x-rays, for example. Like, you know, when we graduated school, a lot of chiropractors like, oh, I'll take the x-rays in my office. And now I think that luckily the profession is progressing to the point where it's like, I'd rather refer to a, a radiology center, let the radiologist there view it. They see them all day long. It's good, right? And, but it's like refer out for everything you don't do and be very clear on that. And I, th- I think that the trainers are doing the same. The good I, ones are doing the same thing. I agree. Thing. I think this just comes down to being humble and, and knowing and, and having an honest introspection and knowing what you're good at. Yes, we learn some of those things when we're in school. But I always think of it like if I was the patient, who would I want reading my x-rays? Mm-hmm. Me or the, the radiologist down the street that I work with who does it nine hours a day yeah. for the last 30 years. Those are the people I want to refer yeah. to. And I've just gotten to this point, and I know really good personal trainers. I, I get a ton of referrals in my business from personal trainers. Yeah. And these are people that I know. I know what they know. I've worked with them for years. And trainers can be a really good, valuable resource for your business. So it can be huge. It's amazing. I've yeah. made my business off of, of yeah. Trainers referring yeah. me business. And even at the gym, as an example, where I work, a large, oh, I would say at least 50 to 60% of the trainers that work there are people that ha- I had hired at another gym that we were at or had worked with me in another gym. We've had a relationship for 10 plus years, and they're not, even though they know I do fitness, they know that they send people to me for pain. I get them out of pain, restore their function, and I send them right back with here's some things you can do to make sure you don't have to come back and see me again. So I just think you have to get to a point in your career where you're not you're comfortable knowing what you don't know, and then uh-huh. you find people that know that, yeah. and just know that they're going to take really good care yeah. of people. And I think it comes with you know that the confidence or reassurance comes with time. I, I even refer to Pause other real chiropractors. Quick. I, I forgot we have a new sponsor of the show, so I got to talk about Membrant.io. Membrant.io is a way for chiropractors people who have education courses and people who are just put out information for their clients. So like chiropractors, doctors, massage therapists, personal trainers, teachers, everybody to just to have an app that actually lives on iOS. So membrant.io is building an app for clinic gym hybrid. And the goal is that on the app, you can access things like our podcast, our accelerator course, or things like that. And what they're trying to do is get out to the world all about the idea of having an app. So if you are a chiropractor and you're sending people home with exercises, for example, like we're talking about here, Having the ability to view that easily through an app on your phone, way better than like sending them to YouTube because <laughs> the problem is <laughs> once your video ends, you have no guarantee or, or control over what ne- the video that next pops up is, and that's a problem. So Membrant.io is a way to, it's a fulfillment app. It's not for marketing, but it's for fulfillment, and it helps you really build a relationship with your customers. So all of the podcasts that I have, for example, will be on my app, all of the courses that I have will be on my app. Any videos I want to shoot, now I can put them, hey, these are allowed, 
anybody's allowed to see these videos. And these ones over here are only for paid members. So membrant.io does all that work for you. And I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. Look out for a Clinic Gym hybrid app. All right. So sorry to cut you off there, but I want to make sure they're, they're building something cool for me. So I want to make sure I talk about them. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I, I would love to have a place where, for instance, <clears throat> you know, the, the uh, exercise progression and regression right. sheet that we have for our, yeah. our, our people who come take our course. Uh, we're building yeah. a library, a video library of all those exercises. Uh. And it would be great to have a place like that where if you have yeah. a client, it's like, hey, Remember this exercise we talked about. Go to our app, and, you, and, mm -hmm. and I'll save it on your platform, and you right. can see it. And these guys, it's, it looks like your brand. So if it was Teeter Chiropractic or what, Engineering Athletes, right. the app would be on their phone would say Engineering Athletes. It'd go in all the brandings, the Engineering Athletes. None of it is like these you know, clunky, white-labeled, like, oh, powered by so-and-so. And you're like, oh, that's not really what I'm I looking for. I think that's for. great. Yeah, so great. it's exciting. So going back to, um, to trainers and exercise and all that, it takes some – Kind of guts to refer. By the way, this is one of the little pet peeves of mine, but one of the things that I think, one of the reasons trainers get a bad rap, and I'm a little bit more of a bleeding heart than you, Tom, but that's okay, um, is no one's ever taught them about red flags. Like that idea of red flags, can, I mean, is that even in, covered in the CSCS? Maybe if, a little if bit. If it is, like, it's vaguely. I, yeah, I, um, like we understand clinically is red flags, right? Like, I mean, in the exercise world, oh, I have deep calf pain i just flew for you know i just flew back from france a couple of days ago uh my foot's tingling and there's redness in my leg okay that is a red flag the problem is a lot of and i i, I use that example because one of my trainers who i had not taught about red flags was like oh grab a foam roller and break that up and it's like yeah <laughs> luckily that worked out well right but it didn't dislodge but anyways but i think there's a lot of red flags in exercise that just get un or just get brushed over so i was talking to rick mayo and he was saying that his I love this story. He and his wife are traveling. She's like 46 years old. She had like a congenital hip defect or something. So she had a re hip replacement at 41. It was pretty young for a female to have a hip replacement, right? So go to a gym. And he says, they go in, the, the trainer's like, oh, yeah, we do an assessment on the front end, blah, blah. And Rick's like, oh, cool. Like, I love it. And he says, like, the guy goes, so any major, like, injuries or surgeries? And Rick's wife goes, yeah, I actually have my hip replaced at 41. And the guy goes, Awesome. All right, so today's workout is kettlebell swings. And <laughs> just like, and Rick's like, why do you ask? Like, just stop asking, over. you idiot. Like, because now you can't deny it. You know, you know about it. But it was just super funny. Like, our assessment process is, you know, ask you, do you have any problems? Yes. And you go, and, right on. All right, so today's workout is. <laughs> well, one of the things I think you end up seeing, and I think you, you hit you, you hit on it perfectly, is that most trainers aren't taught about red flags. Right. One of the things that I try to do is take the things that, we have a course at the university where it's exercise testing and prescription and we build the red flag lecture into that course. And so I tried to take some of that information and, and we have a, in the, the rehab, the fitness course, we have a whole entire uh, uh, lecture on risk stratification and red flags. And so I go, Hey, here's some of the basic anthropometric type screens you're going to do. And here's some of the things you might see that might be red flags as contraindications to exercise. So we really try to build in this filtering system, one based on general body systems, one based on movement, and one based on fitness. So you have a, a layering system of red flags. And even, for instance, if, if you take something like the expanded Park U+, if someone fills that out and they've been previously diagnosed with heart Define disease... 
expanded park sure they, they, the original thing that they did for uh, physical activity readiness questionnaire for those of you who don't know the park you um, was seven questions be careful Tom I don't want all these ladies to start flocking over here you know like they hear you sexy talk, talk. yeah um, the original park you was seven questions and it was meant to be a screening tool to look at, at major diagnoses or disease that may be preventative for exercise okay uh, for instance have you been uh, ever been diagnosed with chest pain Th- okay. things of that nature and if you answered yes to any of those questions, you had to get a, permi- a, a physician's permission before you or, or uh, right. sign off before you can. Just like the first chapter in every book, if anything in this, blah blah blah, always get the express right. permission of your physician before starting an exercise program. What they which ended up nobody doing, ever did, you know, by the way. And yeah. they, most of the time, they still don't. One of the things they did was they took that and didn't think that it was enough. So mm-hmm. if you answer yes to any of the questions, you go to a set of sub-questions that expand further. So when you're possibly referring someone to a medical doctor, if someone says, I've been diagnosed with chest pain, then the doctor knows specifically where to start the line of questioning. Awesome. From a legal perspective, and again, going back to my legal hat, if someone comes into to Josh's gym, and works with one of your trainer. And the first thing they do, going back to your example with Rick, is like, okay, let's go out and start doing kettlebell swings. Mm -hmm. They never did any form of assessment or um, assessing for red flags. Mm -hmm. The person keels over and starts having chest pain and has to go to the hospital. You are going to be legally responsible. Now, even if you did a physical activity readiness questionnaire, you could still be responsible. But the likelihood that the jury is going to, what they're going to ask in court is, did you meet all of the legal and ethical standards or within, that's within that scope of practice, sure. and you would go, yeah, they did everything that they were supposed to as far as checking off the boxes looking for red flags. So trainers aren't typically taught that. Yeah. And, and I think what we tried to do at the university with our students is make sure that we drill that into them. And we have a whole hour, an hour and a half lecture in our course where we're going over that material. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you're doing it because I just don't know any other group that actively is doing that, you know? And, uh, well, I think, I think we're making the assumption that by the time trainers get to a, a, that point, they have that knowledge already, and we've found historically that that's not the case. <laughs> I like how you say that we found historically. That means nobody freaking knew, right? Yeah, no one goes yeah. over that stuff. Yeah, and uh, so if you are somebody adding a trainer to your business, to your you know hybrid clinic gym, I think quarterly having that idea of like what are some red flags for training, I think is fantastic. And just the idea of like, you know, shoulder issues that – you know, a lot of shoulder issues feel better with weight in your hand. You know, they self-stabilize and the joint centrates and, oh, man, I can move. But talking about what does that mean, you know, and then, like, let's not have any release activities and things like that that feed deeper into that. And the right trainer will be, like, so jazzed about that they'll want to work for you for another 100 years, you know? like Yeah, and what we tried to, to do is we, we try to frame the conversation differently. I, I think a lot of trainers or personal trainers – they see their role as fitness. Okay. What we try to describe in the course and even at the university is uh-huh. you're a healthcare provider. Right. Those are different conversations. You're a healthcare provider who administers fitness. You're not a fitness provider. And once you frame it in that way, just like with health, you would go, hey, are there any red flags that would prevent me from doing this thing I want to do? That's why we do blood pressure screens. That's why we do right. cholesterol. Those are looking for red flags. Right. So we try to treat well, example, exercise the same way. Yeah. Is there anything prior to exercise, just from a basic systems perspective, that would prevent me from exercising? If the answer is no, then we want to look at movement. We'll do something maybe like mm-hmm. an FMS. We mm-hmm. go, okay, is there any movement limitations that may prevent me from being successful in exercise? And if is the this answer the part is, where I'm supposed to get all angry at you and yell that it was never designed for? Well, but, okay, so let's talk about that. 
One of the criticisms that we see a lot, and I know yeah. you probably hear this too, is that the FMS doesn't predict injury. Yeah. It was people. never designed to. And I'm not going to speak people. for yes. any of the guys over at FMS because I don't know them probably as well yeah. as you do. But all the FMS. I'm not really speaking on behalf of, people when I say, of FMS when I say I hate the people in their mom's basement yelling about it not designing for injury risk. Well, they've never taken the FMS. And, 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 and those people, I've yet to have one. I've gotten arguments on Facebook, which is stupid, I know. But I go, great. What's better? What should we use? And they don't have an answer. Crickets. But here's crickets. what I would say. Yeah. In my, and I take this, I'll be honest, I, I take from this from what Charlie said. The FMS was designed uh-huh. to tell you if your client's joints can get into the position to absorb force or adapt to the stresses of training. So if we're going to do a split stance squat, uh-huh. can you get in that position? Right. It's not predicting injury. We don't know if you can't get in that position what's going to happen. Right. It's just telling me if you can do that or right. not. And we can start to extrapolate information from that. Right. That's all it was designed to do. Yeah. And I think if you use it that way, that's the way we teach it. If you use it that way, like an overhead squat or a squat, yeah. if you're going to squat, can you get into a squat position? Right. If the answer is no, bad things might happen. <laughs> and we may want to do something to correct yeah. the reason yeah. why you can't do that. Right. So I, I, I think the people that have arguments with the FMS either have never taken the course or they're maybe misrepresenting what the intent of the, the material sure. was in the first place. Yeah, and I mean, the human body is like incredibly unpredictable. Like we were talking today, we were doing that golf thing, and I'm like looking at this player, I'm going, you've got these four factors that any one of those, reverse spine angle, early extension, hanging back, like all these things uh, typically result in back pain, and yet the person's like, no, I don't have back pain. And it's like, like literally for me, it's the first time I've ever seen anybody that has those four aggressives that person had and plays regularly, plays the person playing once a week, and yet so, somehow doesn't have back pain. It's that weird recipe of how the human body works, right? Like there are people that have horrible scores in the FMS that just never have pain, and there are people that have great scores. But the same is true of spinal decay or spinal degeneration Excuse me, on x-ray, right? Sure. You can see horrible spine, and you go, oh, my God, you must be dying. And they're like, no, no, I, I actually run marathons all the time. I feel great. And then you're like, okay. And then other people that are like, I'm dying in pain. You look at x-rays and you're like, what? You're, you're faking it. And they're not faking it, you know? Well, I don't think we can ever assume. Like, you, you can, oh, no, dude. So, assuming way, it's way fun. <laughs> you, you can have people who have dysfunction and don't have pain. I, I just, at this point, nothing surprises me anymore. Yeah. And I just go, okay, this is what you've got. This is where we're at. I, I think the main thing that we try to discuss is just having a process to discern all that information. Right. Like you have to have a system to check your work. Yeah. Have a system of checks and balances to know if you apply this intervention, whether it's clinically or from a fitness perspective, did it do the thing that I wanted it to do? And if it didn't, that's cool. Maybe this thing didn't work for you, but it might yeah. work for 10 other people. Right. Yeah, we got to find something else. Right. And I think most, one of the things we talk about in our course is that most trainers don't have a system. Sure. From, from start to finish. And to be fair, most clinicians don't. Most clinicians most, don't. Have. Most everybody doesn't have a system, right? And, and, you know, you look at the most successful people, at least the people I respect, including people like yourself, is they have a system for everything. Oh, don't. I'm not in that boat, dude. So don't, don't be pointing the fingers at me, homie. Yeah. But, but even look at what Greg Rose and, and, yeah, yeah, and Ray yeah. Cook and all these yeah. people are saying. Like, have a system yeah. and use that to check your work. And that's really all we're talking about, even with fitness. Let's create a system and a language of programming uh-huh. so that all you have to do is follow the rules and you can go up and down the scale of progressions or regressions, find the right landing point for each individual person, yeah. and then slowly and strategically manipulate the variables over time mm-hmm. to get a specific adaptation. 
that seems pretty simple on, on the surface. It's, it's complex, I get it. Mm-hmm. But in our course, we really try to teach that from top to bottom. And I would like to think from the people that have taken the course so far, the feedback that we're getting is some of these guys have taken some of these other courses, at least the participants of our course, and said we really have done a great job of start to finish giving you a plug-and-play system awesome. of how to understand exercise programming. Awesome. And so if you're a clinician who wants fitness as part of your business, I'll tell you right now, if you're a physician who's interested in fitness and wants to get referrals from personal training, having the ability to speak this language will hands down put you in a position to seek referrals from yeah. high-value trainers in your area. Right. And if you also have that confidence to refer back and forth and like when people send you people, they're not falling into a black hole of where they never go back to the trainer. Like, Because that's another thing. Trainers work hard for just like we do to get new clients. So don't screw them by not, you know, by pulling that person out of workouts and not, not doing something about it, you know? And trainers also, what I, from my experience in the past, they're, they're fearful of sometimes referring to someone they don't know. They're fearful of referring to people they don't know what they do. And they're fearful of referring people to who may be perceived as a higher status than them. Yeah. And so I think if you form, and this is like anything else, if you form these high value relationships around that common systems of communication, yeah. I have lots of trainers that know that I train people every day yeah. and they know that when they refer someone to me, that they're going to come right back. I'll never take those people on unless, and it's only been maybe once or twice in the last 10 years where a trainer would come to me and like, look, this something, someone's got some very specialized mm-hmm. medical problems that's not within my scope. Would you be willing to take them on as a fitness client? And I would have that conversation. But usually if it's just the general population, mm-hmm. run-of-the-mill fitness client, they know when they come to me for care, they're going to go right back. That's and awesome. that's just all about forming relationships. Yeah. I mean, and that'll, I'm sure because of that, you've grown so many, you've gotten so many referrals because they're like, hey, I can trust. I, it's a trust thing, right? Like, Absolutely. I'm going to host me. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, it's Dr. Josh, and real quick, we'll get right back to that interview, but I definitely want to tell you all about our super conference. It's coming up on April 13th and 14th in Austin, Texas. Now, what is it, and what makes it so awesome? Well, it's super. That's why it's called the super conference, and it's super because we've combined two of the greatest models in all of the clinic gym hybrid space, and that is the Accelerator program. We are putting it live into an event, and you're going over everything we cover in Accelerator live. Now, we can't go as in-depth as the online training, but we're going to give you an overview on Saturday about how to run the business side of the operation. And then on Sunday, we have partnered with the CFSC, the Certified Functional Strength Coach Program, and they are teaching a course all about the exercise to do and the progressions and regressions to do with your clients. So you combine those two models, the best exercise program with the best business model, and you have an absolute super conference. So I hope you can join us April 13th and 14th in Austin, Texas. Go to our website, clinicgymhybrid.com, and look for the button that says Super Conference. Once again, clinicgymhybrid.com, and there's a button right at the top that says, tell me about the Super Conference. Click there, you got all the info. Thanks a lot. We'll get right back to that interview. We're coming up on the end of the show, but um, what what are you looking at for the next, so as Rehab to Fitness grows and, and you're kind of tweaking and turning the knobs a little bit, over the next couple of years, what do you think you'll be doing with the course and and as it fills up what do you what do you hope to help more clinicians do um well that's a good question i have lots of ideas i I think the first thing i just want to get the word out um i want clinicians to understand exercise and the value it has for your practice by the way if you're not following tom and rehab to fitness on instagram facebook i highly recommend it because i i really appreciate some of the articles and, and studies that you post up about fitness kind of and its effect on clinical practice and kind of backfilling that a lot. I, I think that stuff's fantastic. Well, one of the things I tried to do 
and, and this is a, a broader conversation, but um, I, I'm very anti-social media. And my <laughs> wife and all of my friends get on to me because I hate right. posting on social media. And I hate the way that social media has run our practices. But if I have something interesting to say or I find value in something, I'm yeah. going to put it out there. It's awesome. Otherwise, I'm not going to make superfluous daily posts just to have content. And I think there's a lot of people that are doing that right now. And sometimes things get watered down. Yeah. So what we try to do with the Facebook page, if, if you would love to follow us there, we'd really appreciate the support. But we put out relevant content, that things that are going to directly impact the way that you see fitness within your practice or within working with clients. Right. And we try to tie all of that stuff back. There's no to cotton candy on your Facebook. Absolutely yeah. not. Never. Yeah. And we try to tie that stuff back to the course. Awesome. How do I see the course growing? Um, well, first of all, I just want to get the word out. Um, I, I would love, uh, even like as an example, you know, as you're trying to get the word out about uh-huh. fitness and why clinicians should incorporate this, I would love for people to turn to us as that resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some pretty larger scale ideas. You know, the, the rehab to fitness course we have now is a, I would call it maybe like a level one yeah. where it's really teaching the basics of exercise programming for general physical preparation, general yep. population. The stuff that's going to walk in your clinic, basically, that's right. right? For, for yeah. most clinicians, they're not seeing a lot of high level athletes. They're yeah. seeing general population. So you should be able to take this level one course and really understand how to program fitness for the general yeah. population. I see down the road because of the way that I view athletics, that we may have a level two course that's getting more into specifics of maybe like specific, specific physical preparation for athletics. Cool. And then I also kind of envisioned this idea of a level three course where maybe we're talking about a systematic approach to over a comprehensive athletic development where you're even including things like motor skill acquisition, yeah. uh, management, medical fitness, movement skill, and monitoring, all of that, and having conversations about why each individual bucket needs to be filled if you're going to work with long-term athletes. And, you know, at the end of every show, I say, go out there, maximize your license, live the life you dream of. I think what you just said in the last sentence certainly is one great way of maximizing your license, right? Like, I mean, besides chiropractors, maybe PTs, but especially chiropractors, like, what other license has the ability to do what you just said? You know what I mean? And the access and everything, like, we get to write our own story. It's, it's awesome, right, from a perspective. I, I agree. I think you're only limited by your willingness to open your mind, to, yeah. to check your biases, and, and learn from other people that may be outside your specialty. I, I think if we're going to talk about athletic development and use that as a springboard, there are so many players that are involved with mm-hmm. working with one athlete. Yeah. You, you have management. You have the medical side. You have people relative to movement. You have... Instructors. Fitness, fitness people. You have yep. coaches, instructors. Coaches, coaches, and then and all of yeah. that has to be under the umbrella of monitoring stress and load. And I think if you put all that together, even if you're the one person doing yeah. it all, which is highly unlikely, or you have a common system to communicate with the other people on the team your success will be exponential. And what other, like you say all the time, what other license do you have the, the widest scope of practice to be able to start to investigate all those right. things? Because you can monitor heart rate variability and you can order MRIs. Like, uh, it, it's it's awesome. the same person. If yeah, you the same to. person. And you and can recruit everybody you want and open a gym and, and do whatever you and want. And go hands-on care to like, hey, maybe we can fix this right now. The other thing that's really cool, you mentioned HRV. I've started to see some experimentation with uh-huh. HRV and treatment. Uh-huh. So maybe you measure their ah, HRV before treatment, yeah. you do a manipulation, and you measure HRV afterwards to see how that stress was perceived by the nervous system. Yeah. There's so much awesome. things that we can do that really go outside the scope of traditional chiropractic. And I think fitness is just one piece of that puzzle. I love it. And that's why we tried to come yeah. up with a course that encompasses how to teach yeah. pro-
programming and fitness to clinicians. Awesome, man. So once again, where can people find that course? You can look us up. Uh, you, if you go to South, Southeast Sports Seminars, you look up Rehab to Fitness. Or if you just and don't take in, that, that crazy, what's that guy, Riddle? Like, he has that weird stuff, that factor stuff. Don't like, I mean, you know, look right past that on the Southeast Sports Seminar. <laughs> Todd's a great guy, and yeah, I, I've actually kidding. thoroughly enjoyed working <laughs> with him. Todd's the only, only chiropractor I know that made it out of Sherman College. With the ability to perform rehab, right? <laughs> it, it, probably sane and logical at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Like um, he, so, he, it's like that scene in uh, in uh, Lord of the Rings where they're trying to get the ring into Mordor, you know, to destroy right. it or whatever. Like that's that's what he did. Uh, Todd does great work, and I, I yeah. thoroughly enjoy working with him. Uh, if you go to Southeast Sports Seminars, they're the the host of my course. Look up yep. Rehab to Fitness. You can find us on Facebook at Rehab to Fitness. I try to post something relevant every day. Um, we're Rehab to Fitness on Instagram, and we're trying to really start to incorporate more video and, and things on Instagram. Yeah, awesome. So um, okay. we'd love the support. Video on can, Instagram, huh? This is new. Uh, well, and, and that that could be a whole other. <laughs> Don't wear a bikini, please. I beg you. I, I promise you, I won't do awesome. that. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad you're you're doing that, and I think that you're certainly like helping people really expand that license and we get, we're allowed to do these things. Like it's not an expansion license, but actually like take advantage of what our license provides. So, uh, I, for one, I'm super excited about that. So well, I Tom, appreciate th- the support. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for being on today. I appreciate it. Yeah. So on behalf of Dr. Tom Teeter, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks everybody. Hey, 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 I hope you enjoyed that interview. Once again, I would like to encourage you to go over to onbaseu.com and racketfit.com. Those are both sports-specific screening tools that will help you with your clients that play baseball for onbaseu or tennis for racketfit.com. And both those courses are now approved for 13 hours of continuing education each. So you can work on those two courses this year, and they are fantastic ways to get your continuing education done while getting involved in sports that you love. So check them out, racketfit.com and onbase you, just onbase the letter u.com. See you there.